listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life. I've been looking forward to saying that for a long time. You know, I hear that all the time, but now I can say it. Yeah, I get to preach today as you guys figure that out. Uh, It's my last dying wish that I got to preach You know, uh, Patrick McManus said some time ago in one of his books that camping is a fine and pleasant misery. (laughs) Well, folks, today uh, leaving is a fine and pleasant misery. We, uh, my wife and I have, well, I'll just tell you about it later. But today we're going to uh, have our seniors serve communion for us and they have come to support me in case I fall off the seat and, uh, and uh, can't uh, get myself back up, they're going, to, they're going to help me with that. You know, getting old, it has its advantages as well as some negative things. I uh, have struggled with my weight for the last uh, 25 years. Maybe my wife would probably say longer than that. But I figured it out. As you get older, you acquire more knowledge. Your head is so full of knowledge that it has to go somewhere and so it squirts out other places. That's what I've decided. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Gosh, you know, I was thinking the other day uh, as Eileen and I were talking about being 75 um, and um, what, uh, what God's will or desire for, uh, is for us for the rest of our life. And uh, I've decided that as we get older, we do one of two things. We either dry up. You know, you see these little old ladies that are, the older they get, the smaller they get, and they look like a, a, a toothpick. Or you blow up, you know, and you look like me, and my wife says, that I'm the latter. I'm the latter one of those. I blow, I've been blowing up for a long time. I was l- listening to uh, Bob Moorhead some time ago uh, talk about, uh, he was kind of laughing, this little old lady who weighed about 90 pounds soaking wet. You know, Bob Moorhead always preached expository sermons, and I'm going to do that today. Expository sermons means that you take the scriptures and you go through them and you expound on them. And so, you know, you're going to share what, uh, what the scriptures have to say that makes application. He always preached expository preaching of sermons and he always talked about it from time to time. This little old lady, 90 pounds soaking wet, came walking out one day and she said to him and she shook his hand, Brother Bob, I sure do love that suppository preaching. Well, she had it all mixed up, didn't she? But today, uh, I hope that you will enjoy this expository preaching. Gene Getz wrote a book several years ago in which he uh, entitled it, The Measure of a Church. And he asked some questions. What would you say, how would you describe the church as you know it? If it was a church that was successful, what would it look like? Would it be a giving church? Would it be a disciple-making church? Would it be a a soul-winning church? Would it be a church with a lot of hymns? 
Would it be a church with a lot of worship music? Would it be a church with, with lots of uh, amens and shouting and that kind of thing? Um, what, would, uh, what would the church look like for you? Well, today I want to share with you from Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to follow with me along in the scriptures, the church that God desires. And you know, folks, I've had to think about, this is my last sermon, I told you that already. I had to, I had to think to myself, what would I say for my last sermon to a group of people that I dearly love and care for? And so you're going to get both barrels. You're going to get the whole load of hay today, folks. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now one translation says uh, the vocation by which you have been called, which means that what he says is that as Christians, we are to live up to the expectations of what God wants from us as Christians. One fellow was asked, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a Christian, but I work construction to pay my way. Well, I was in uh, Riverton, Wyoming a few years ago, and a fellow who was delivering, I was actually working part-time to help pay the, my way in ministry, but the fellow drove a semi in to deliver some material for the store in which I worked, and he had hit a herd of an antelope coming across Wyoming. You drive in Wyoming very long, you're probably going to hit an antelope. His bumper was all bent, and uh, he was walking around looking at it, and I said, what's going on? And he was telling me about it, and he was just cussing, using the F-bomb and, and GD all over the place. And I backed off and walked into the store. Well, he didn't stop. He followed me around in the store. We had customers in there, and and, uh, and some of our uh, staff were, was in there, and I said, you know, we really would appreciate it if you didn't use language like that around our customers and our staff. And he hung his head for a little bit. And then he said, you know, uh, Charlie, I'm a deacon at my church in Denver, Colorado. And I was real empathetic. I said, well, I can tell you right now, it does, sure doesn't show in your language, brother. <laughs> and uh, he stood there with big tears in his eyes and he said, I promise I won't ever do that again. Folks, uh, the church that pleases God is one who when you leave this building, you haven't left all the, your spiritualness in the seats in which you got up out of. God wants us to take the message of the cross to the whole world, wherever you go. As you are going, Jesus said to the disciples in, in the Great Commission, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going to the laundromat, as you're having somebody uh, honk their horn at you whenever you are, you are sitting at a red light. I had that happen one time. In fact, I, I had a lady who cut me off right at an intersection yeah, I'd only been in the ministry about 30 years when I did this, but I, I, this lady cut me off and I was sitting there, I stopped real quick and I was, I was just really building myself up and I looked over and there was one of our ladies from the church staring right at me. <laughs> and I said, oh, hi. <laughs> Bless you, sister. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, you are our epistles known and read by all men. You're preaching a gospel, a chapter each day by the deeds you do and the things you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Now, Paul suggests here that we do it uh, in, in lowliness. In fact, uh, in verse 2, let's look at verse 2 again. If we can back up just a little bit there, guys. Uh, live worthy of the calling that you have received. We did that one. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The word lowliness has this idea of a sense of one's moral littleness, worthlessness. A young um, college student who was a freshman came home to his home church. And one of the things I found out about Bible college students is there's no one who knows more than a college freshman. I mean, he could write a book on uh, theology. Just ask him and he'll tell you. Well, the preacher made a mistake and asked him to come forward and pray for the congregation that day. So he stepped up to the pulpit and he began by saying, Almighty God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jeroboam and Rehoboam, all those other Boam boys. And, and, <laughs> and he just waxed eloquent for a long time. And then the preacher stepped to the pulpit and said, now let us throw up. I'm sure his mom and dad weren't very happy with the preacher that day, but you know, pride is one of those things that keeps us from having a sense of lowliness and moral littleness. He, he goes on to say that we should have meekness and gentleness and patience, long-suffering to slow, to, uh, means to slow to, to avenge wrongs. I just talked with a lady the other day in my office. We were having a counseling session and uh, she's, I said, okay, now we're going to pray. Now what are we, what we going to pray for? And she said, pray for patience for me. And I said, gosh, don't do that, whatever you do. As, as long as I've lived, I've learned not to pray for patience. But folks, God wants us to be patient with those who we disagree with. A couple that I heard about back in Illinois several years ago had lost a son to a drunk driver. He was uh, his, their 18-year-old boy, only son they had, only child they had, was driving one day and uh, this, uh, this drunk driver hit him and killed him. And so this, these parents dogged the, the court system until they took this young man to court and sent him off to prison. Now this couple were Christians and they knew that forgiveness was one of those things that they needed to be involved in. So they, the father made a trip to the prison where he could visit with this young man. He had a great visit with him. This boy cried, apologized to him, told him he was sorry for killing his son. And so the next time this father came, he brought a plate of cookies. Not long after that, he began to visit him once every week. When this young fellow got out of prison, he, he, this, this couple, mom and dad, who had lost their son, adopted him into their home, led him to the Lord. He became their surrogate son, and they loved on his grandkids 
for years. Folks, that's what a church is supposed to look like when we understand that God wants us to be patient with one another, forbearing with one another, keeping the unity of the Spirit, Paul says in verse 13, in the bond of peace. You know, sometimes we preachers are pediatricians. We preach to too many kids. Sometimes uh, folks don't always get along. They start acting like children. And they forget to act like they're supposed to be mature, adultish. And so your leaders have to come and and help you reason through some things. You get mad and leave and you wonder, well, what in the world is going on? Well, folks, what Paul says, the church that God measures is one who knows how to get along with one another. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I uh, spoke like a child and I did childish things. But now that I'm a man, I've put away these, these things. Now I want us to look First of all, we need to walk worthy. Secondly, the church that God loves, God's proud of, and He's proud of real life ministries. I'll share that with you shortly. But also, the church that God loves serves humbly. Look at verse 7. We'll start in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now let's stop right there for a second. The word grace is the Greek word keros. It literally means gift. Jesus has given gifts to the church. We'll share that more in just a little bit. But he says to each one he has given a gift. If you are a part of the body of Christ, then you have a gift. Everybody has a gift. Not all of us have the same gift. Lord forbid if we all had the same gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that uh, the, the body is made up of all different kinds of things. He says, what if everybody was an eye? Where would the hearing be in your body if you had eyes all over your body? Wouldn't it be interesting if on Sunday morning Aaron got up to preach and there was nothing but big eyeballs sitting out here in the congregation? What he's elaborating on is that the body is made up of many gifts. Differing gifts. Not everybody has the gift to sing. I've stood beside some of you folks and I know that very well. (laughs) This young fellow decided that his gift that he was going to use was singing and so he insisted on them letting him sing. So he got up and sung one Sunday morning and he sounded like a hog yelling for somebody to bring it some food. To which this old fellow in the church came up to him and said, Son, I know you did your best, but whoever asked you to sing ought to be shot. (laughs) Well, you know, not all of us have the same gift. Some of you are here because you've had pain in your life. Some of you have a gift of, of nurturing persons because you've been through a divorce and you know what it feels like. I don't. Someone has suggested your ministry is found where you have been broken. Your testimony where you have been restored. One of the things that I share with couples all the time who have come to see me is that God expects you now to use what you have learned, who you are, to help other people. 
2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says that the God of all comfort comforts us with all his comfort so that you can comfort others with the same comfort that you have received. Now, very few have received the same gift. Let's move on. He says, this is why it says when the, he ascended on high before Jesus ascended, he took many captives and he gave gifts to his people. Why would he do that? Because he wants the church to be strong, to get along and to, and, and to draw people to it. What does he, he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower er, earthly regions? Now, some have differences of opinion about what this means. Uh, many theologians uh, agree that what this is, he's talking about here is that Jesus, when he was in the tomb, preached to all those people in the Old Testament who were faithful to God, who were, were in this abode of waiting, who had not been moved to the place in the presence of God that we're going to go when we die. And so he went there and, uh, and uh, preached to these folks and they were, uh, their shackles were set free and they moved on to glory. Now, uh, <clears throat> He goes on to say, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Now listen to me. I don't believe there are any more apostles. I know there are some groups who claim that they are an apostle or they have apostles in their church. Well, we're blessed by apostles. I'm reading to you today from what some of the apostles wrote years ago to help establish the church. The Holy Spirit gave them inclination to write and they wrote without error and they were blessed. And so these folks, these apostles were, uh, helped the church to get established by using what God had given them, but they're no longer there. But he goes on to say that the pastors and teachers, back up one there, guys. So he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Now the word prophets here, it could mean one of two things. It could mean a fourth teller that you could see the future or it could be a fourth teller which is a preacher. And I believe that that's what the guys who stand up here and preach, that's what we are. We are fourth, fourth tellers. We, are, we preach the gospel and we foretell, we have, we have great elders in our church, and I'm going to talk about those guys in just a little bit and embarrass some of them. But, uh, you know, we, we all have differing gifts. I've been a pastor for 46 years. I preached in the ministry as a pulpit minister for 31. When Aaron and Jim called me to come to uh, Post Falls, to serve on staff there, I wasn't sure that I wanted to give up preaching because I, as you can tell, I like preaching. Well, maybe you haven't figured that out yet. Hello, is this thing on? Um, for 31 years, I was a pulpit minister Jim and Aaron called me and, uh, and Jim said, if you want to be a part of something that's changing the world and come and be on staff here. He told the elders in the church at Post Falls that I was going to be his pastor. He didn't know what that meant because I took him down some uh, roads that he didn't like to go through. But I 
didn't preach. Jim and Aaron were great preachers. The body in post-fall didn't need me to preach. So guess what? I became what I always wanted somebody to be for me, to stand beside me and pray for me and, and encourage me. And I raised money to send Jim Putman to Hawaii and on an elk hunting trip and lots of other things. I counseled with he and his family and, and a lot of other things. But I did not preach because my gift was not able to be used in the church in Post Falls. Now, um, as I said, I became a marriage counselor. And so, because I love people and I've learned the hard way some things that will help people, I've been able to help some folks. Maybe some of you who are sitting here have sat in my office and we have gone through some things and maybe that's helped you out. But you know, for two or three years now, my wife and I have been thinking about going to be closer to our daughter. Our daughter is a caregiver. We're getting older, as I shared with you. I'm one of the ones that have the, the almond tree has blossomed and it's getting white. And so we decided that we, if the Lord worked it out, we would go to, to Montana close to my daughter and live with her and be a burden to her for a period of time. <laughs> and so I would just happen to visit with uh, one of the fellows that I, that I led to the Lord, counsel with he and his wife, got them back together. They were on the verge of a divorce. I baptized both of them. He went off to uh, Bible college. When he got out of Bible college, we were in Missoula. He called me and he said, are there any churches in the area that I can go preach at? And I said, there's a little church in uh, just south of Polson, Montana called Pablo. Why don't you call him? He called him. He was there for two or three years. The church grew and did really well. Now I'm on the phone to the same person. And I said, we're thinking about moving closer to our daughter. And he said, well, he's in mission work, by the way. He said, uh, you know, Pablo has been praying for a preacher for eight years. And I said, are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. So I called one of the guys there and I said, are you guys looking for a preacher? Yeah, we've been looking for a preacher for eight, eight years. Within two hours, I had somebody call me from Las Vegas, lost wages, he said to me, would you, would you be willing to come to Pablo to preach? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to pray about it. My wife and I will talk about it. Maybe God will direct us in that direction. We went over there and met with them. They wanted to hire us on the spot. And we said, don't you think maybe I ought to come and preach before the congregation? And he said, they said, yeah, we probably ought to do that. So well, I went over there. We went over there a couple of weeks ago and I preached for them and folks, they thought Billy Graham was preaching to them. <laughs> Why, gosh, I've never had so much reinforcement in my life. And they asked me, when are you coming? And I said, I don't know. God hasn't told us yet. So my wife and I went back home and we prayed about it. We decided to put our house on the market. Uh, we put it on the market on Thursday. 
Monday, we had an offer of more than we were asking for our house. And uh, I took a big gulp. This is going to happen. So I just want you to know that I got a call from Pablo, Montana, after we went over there and preached. And they have invited us to come and be their pastor and his wife of a mega church in Pablo, Montana of 35 people. Now in Pablo, Montana, they might have a need for a marriage counselor. In fact, I'm going to probably advertise that to see if I can accommodate some folks when I get there. But they need somebody to preach. The body there needs somebody to preach. And so as of the end of this month, we are officially uh, moving our stuff. If, there, if the snow melts at all, where we can get in over there. And the Holy Spirit has decided that maybe uh, we should be moving to Pablo and with your blessing. That's what we're going to do. Now, I want to encourage you that not every, not every gift that you think you have is, can be used in the church. I had to scramble to find out, God, what am I going to do? If I'm not going to preach, that's what I've done. That's been my biggest thing. Help me to figure out what it looks like. What, the, the last year that I was at Post Falls, I did 50 weddings. I counseled 30 hours a week. I was glad to, when they said unto me, let us go into Moscow. It was a rest coming down here. I called Aaron on Friday night. We had church services up there on Friday night. I called him on Friday night and I said, Aaron, do you feel funny? And he said, what do you mean, Dad? I said, we should be in church. He said, you better enjoy it while you can because it won't always be like this. And it hasn't. I want you to know that we have, we have all kinds of people in our church of different vocations who serve in the church. A bone specialist in Pullman worked in the nursery. A pediatrician who may be here today stacks papers in the nursery. We have all kinds of people from all kinds of different backgrounds who, who do all kinds of things. And, and folks, let me tell you, you have two different kinds of gifts. You have a primary gift and a secondary gift. Your primary gift is what your passion is. Maybe the passion that God has allowed to happen in your life. Your secondary gift is whatever the church needs. Now, I've learned on Thursday nights be, before they set up tables and chairs out here to always schedule an appointment so that I don't have to go out, and, out there and help them set up tables. <laughs> That's what Sarah says about me. She says, here you are again having another appointment at 4 o'clock when we're supposed to set up tables and chairs. When I was a senior pastor at Libby, Montana, I wouldn't hire somebody who refused to set up tables and chairs. That's our secondary gift. Our secondary gift is that you do whatever the church needs. Doesn't mean it has to do with your passionate giftedness, but it, it means that you'll serve wherever you want, you want to serve. Not only do, are we to walk worthy, to serve humbly, but we're to live fairly. There's no, no I in team, folks. The church is a team. There is no I in team. The Colorado Rockies was written about by a sports writer some years ago. They had the best pitching uh, staff. They had the, the best hitters in the whole league. But the, but the sports writer said they will never win a pennant because they can't get along. 
And so we have to learn how to live fairly. You know, some people are like porcupines. They're real cute, but they're hard to get close to. Some people in the church are like that, but I tell you this much, when everyone in the church has the same goal, amazing things happen. The first night we met to see how many people we were going to have, we met in the, West, the Best Western. We had 50 people there. I remember the first Sunday when we were at Seventh-day Adventist, and we had over 300 people there. I wept. And then I remember when we reached a thousand, I wept again. God has done a mighty work in this body. And folks, it's been because so many of you have come here looking for a place to serve, not a place to be a spiritual parasite. And there are some people who sit in the, in the pew and they just soak, 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 things up. They listen to good sermons. They listen to good teaching. And as soon as they walk out the door, they get rid of it all. Don't be a spiritual parasite. You find a place to serve. God has a place for you to belong. Now what he says in verse, uh, verse 15, and I'll just do this real quickly. Since this is the last service, I could just do this for another hour. And you know, there's another thing about it. You can't fire me because <laughs> I've quit. So you might just as well get used to the idea and start to relax and enjoy what I'm going to say to you. <laughs> when we uh, confront each other, let's see if we can look at verse 15. I don't know if we can find that on there. Can we guys? Uh, yeah, instead speaking the truth and love. Hey, these guys are good. We will grow up becoming in every aspect the mature body of Christ who is the head that is Christ. Listen to me. The truth is cold and prickly and divisive. Everybody needs to hear truth. Love is, has no, no foundation, no backbone. But when you put the two of them together, I don't know of anybody who wouldn't listen to somebody who loves them while they're sharing with them from their heart. My mom had an interesting philosophy. She said to me one day, well, you know, after she'd said something, I said, mom, why'd you say that? Well, you might as well say it as think it. I said, if I did that, I'd be in trouble most of my life. Listen, just because you have an emotion doesn't mean that you have to say it. Just because you're angry doesn't mean that you have to express your anger to somebody. Just because you're all bent out of shape doesn't mean you have to bend everybody else out of shape around you. If you pray, Lord, help me to speak the truth and love, look at verse 16, the next verse. He says uh, in the next verse, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's you, grows and builds itself up in, in the, as each part does its own work. Every one of us is a ligament in the body. And when the church has every ligament working, it bubbles like a big Alka-Seltzer. Gosh, people love coming to church because they, they say, man, you're loved there. 
I love it when the preacher gets up and shouts and goes on. In the Tower of Babel, remember in Genesis chapter 11, God says, now there is nothing impossible for them to do. Why? Because they were all working together. So you know what he did? He created the first division. He caused languages, different languages for them to be separated in different languages and they all separated and not another brick was laid because they no longer work together as a team. There have been, in times past, there have been so many couples who have come through our doors. I've greeted them. I used to be the greeter back years ago. And they would say, well, and I'd introduce themselves, we're, we're just out searching for a church. And this was always my pat answer. Henry Blackaby says that we have a responsibility to find out where God's working and get in it. That was my encouragement to, to every couple who came. You need to find out where God's working and get in it. But you know the amazing thing is those couples are still here. Because I believe God is at work here. When men fellowship with one another, I love, I love it when men hug one another. And I embarrassed uh, Brian this morning, but I'm telling you that Brian Brutzman has the best hugs of anybody that I know. When he locks those arms around you, you know you've been loved and hugged. When the church knows how to get along, when the church loves one another, we know how to express our feelings for each other. In Psalms chapter 133, verse 1, David writes, How beautiful and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. It's a wonderful thing, folks, when the body of Christ dwells together in unity. But I tell you, I have been some revivals in places where there was a, there was a division down the middle. The, the forts were over here and the ginnets were over here. And the Gannet hens like to fly around in the, in the church and say, I'm a Gannet, I'm a Gannet, and created problems, all, uh, all kinds of problems in the church. But Jesus' prayer was this, John 17, verses 20 through 21. I do not pray for these alone, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Jesus prayed that the apostles would be one with him and the Father. And then he says that they, they may also, that's us, they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. The church has to become O-N-E in order for the world to be W-O-N. Nobody wants to come to a place where people don't get along. And they, they just had a glass of lemon juice before they came to church. Nobody wants to be a part of that. But in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, the, the, the church at Antioch had had uh, called Paul and Barnabas to be their, their pastors. They were there for a long period of time teaching. And then the Holy Spirit came and said, now it's time for you guys to leave. It's time for you to move on. And so they said, set aside Paul and Barnabas. And they did. They took Paul and Barnabas, put them in a little a little thing and they put hands on them and they, they set them off on the first missionary journey. Now what do you think happened to the church at Antioch? The people in the church at Antioch had to step up. When I left Libby, Montana, I was looking for some comfort. I wanted people to tell me, Charlie, we can't do without you here. That's what I was looking for. 
So I went to one of my friends and I said to him, Jim, I'm leaving. And he said, well, if you take a bucket of water and you put your hand down in there and you pull it out and the hole closes up, they can do without you. And I, that ain't what I wanted to hear at all. <laughs> but you know, folks, that's the truth. Leaders can be replaced. Some of these days you'll think, now who was that old guy that looked a little bit like Elvis in his later years? <laughs> Didn't he go to uh, Nebraska or uh, Illinois or some way, drug, drug his wife all over the place over there to, to preach with him? Is that what he did? But the bottom line is, folks, my wife and I are going to Pablo, Montana because we believe God has led us there. I shared with you that our house is basically sold. We're stacking stuff in the storage bin. Gosh, I hate hoarders, but I are one, I'll tell you that. <laughs> My wife keeps reminding me about that all the time. But folks, here's the, here's the bottom line. The church here needs you. I don't know, I don't care how little you feel like your ability to give is, the church needs you. Don't be a spiritual parasite. Be a one, the one who serves the Lord. On Tuesday mornings, uh, our men, we have a group of guys who I love, get together and we, uh, we have been going through a book from, uh, by Francis Fragapane called Holiness, Truth, and the Pr Presence of God. And I would encourage all of you to read this. I have almost underlined everything in it. But there's, in his closing, the very last statements, that he, the paragraph that he has, listen, as we get ready for our communion time, and the folks can get ready and start going back there right now. Finally, simply do what you know to do. If you stumble, get up. If you sin, repent. Whatever you do, in spite of your feelings, do not lose your vision of Christ's likeness. Your vision is your surest hope. Guard it. If you're faithful to your goal of Christ's likeness, God will give you the grace to live in his presence. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. Amen and amen. As they serve the Lord's Supper today, I want to give you uh, the things for your care group this coming week. And I want you to think about these very seriously. Number one, what would have to happen for you to model Jesus in your life? If you claim to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You know, the church that God loves is the church that not just no, does not meet here in this building on Sunday morning, but it's the church that takes the gospel to the rest of the world. When you're going shopping, when you are, um, when you're doing whatever you're doing, smile. Let people know that Jesus loves them. The second one is uh, 
What part of the body do you believe you are? Listen, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the body. What part of the body are you? Are you a mouth that wags all the time? If you do and it's gossip and not proclaiming Jesus, then you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Whatever your gift is, you ought to first of all single it out and figure out what it looks like and then folks, use it to bring glory to God. What could you do, thirdly, to promote our church body to serve together in harmony? When you hear people say something negative about somebody else, you know what your responsibility is? Look at Matthew 18, start reading in verse 15, you'll find out. You're never to listen to accusations against a brother or sister. They are to go confront them. Number four, what is the difference between a church that exhibits unity or disharmony? I could tell you some horror stories of folks, of churches that I've known, as I said before, that live in disharmony and gosh, there's so much unrest. But folks, the greatest blessing in the world is to be able to close your eyes on Sunday morning in the presence of people that you love and that God loves and to be able to reach across the aisle or in the aisle and hold hands with them and pray with them and know that there are are more people on this train than you. That we're all serving together as the body of Christ. And since this is my last sermon, Nothing would please me more than to hear that this church sets this town on fire. You've got the potential. You've got good leaders. Follow your leaders. Whatever your leaders encourage you, don't be grumbly about it. Whatever suggestions they have, as Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, they're ones who watch over your soul. So you listen to your leaders and follow what they tell you. On the night in which Jesus was uh, initiating the Lord's Supper, it reminds me, this is one of my favorite times in the church service. It reminds me when I left Libby, Montana, I got 10 of our young guys together that I had uh, taught in classes and spent, gone through lots of books with. I got them together and I said, uh, guys, I'm leaving. And now it's time for you to step up. 20 some years now later, I go back to Libby. That same group of guys are all elders or deacons or they're singing in worship and they're leading the church. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, when he gave us this, he said, guys, you're gonna face many trials in the world. He had told them that before. But when you get there, Remember, remember, remember as we partake of the Lord's body, let's remember. I believe there's a reason why Jesus said at the cup of redemption in the Last Supper, this is my blood which is shed for you. You are redeemed. Now go and appreciate it. Go and live like it. 
Go and tell the world that they're redeemed too when they acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Let's remember that as we share right now. Father, today we are grateful that we're redeemed. What a blessing it's been for us. What a ride, Lord, for us in the last 11 years to be a part of this body. So many folks here we love and, and have grown close to that we've led in our lives and who have blessed us with their presence in our home and in our life. Lord, I know that when you speak, as Blackaby says, there comes a time when we go through, come to a crisis of belief. And when we believe that you are taking us to a place where people need us, God, help us to not resist. I pray for those people in Pablo, Montana. I have no idea what you're going to do there, but I can't imagine that your wondrous works are going to be limited to Moscow. And so I'm asking you and your Holy Spirit to go before us and prepare those people's hearts, the community and the people there, so that when we get there, God, a new beginning for the church there will start to ignite. We're leaving friends today, and we're sad about that. But we're happy and rejoice that you've got other places for us. God, may your guidance always be ours and your blessing always be on this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.